A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I'm a total COVID cliche And when the interest rates dropped, I became a COVID refugee and bought a house in Vermont. And I think especially as ideas of rites of passage and family and like divorce rates soaring, people not having kids, blah, blah, blah. It felt like the first rite of passage into adulthood, which sounds weird, but I'm unmarried and I don't have a child. And then it also made me feel abundant and protective at the same time, like I bought this with all this intention to have everybody there. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want people messing up my house. It's very weird dichotomies of like generosity and building a home. And then all of a sudden realizing everything costs money, <laughs> like wild amounts of money. And I think the other weird thing too is it makes you feel insecure and secure at the same time. Secure in that you always have this place like no landlord's going to kick you out and then insecure that at any given moment, you know, and this happened to me in April in Vermont, the heat and hot water went out and I had a date coming over and all of a sudden it snowed in Vermont in April. And so at the same time, it, I'm like, I always have this place and I don't have to worry about my neighbors. And then it was like, also, I don't know, it's another level. It's like you have another pet or a child that has a personality and a temperament. So yeah, it makes me feel lots of weird things, but there's no better sleep than laying my head down in a home that I just purchased. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. Even though she doesn't say her name, that is the voice of my dear friend Margie, who I can attest to being incredibly generous with her physical space because she invited me and Sean to host our sing-along Christmas party in her house before she moved to Vermont. But I can also really hear what Margie's saying about the wanting to protect the space that you now have and this interesting dichotomy of security and insecurity. 
And I know there's a lot of questions wrapped up in home ownership. Obviously, the question of wealth and privilege, the question of colonization, of race and racism. There's many, many angles to this conversation. The question I want to ask today is whether owning a home is something I should want. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about this, Casper. But before we jump in, we just want to thank our amazing patrons, Danielle, Samantha, Marie, Molly W., Pamela P., and Jane W. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us on Patreon. And please feel free to join that amazing party that is going on there. And if you're someone who doesn't like to go to parties, you know, stay home. We get it. Stay home and listen to podcasts. <laughs> I feel like each of these people is some sort of spy, especially people like Molly W., Pamela P. Like you get a sense of who they are, but you never know the full story. I love that. Oh, see, whenever I say someone's name and then first initial, I feel like I'm in the third grade again. Like, was it Emma W. <laughs> or Emma P.? Emma P. Oh, I knew it was Emma P. <laughs> So Casper, what's going on is that you want to buy a house and you're like, should I even want to? Is that correct? So here's the deal. I learned a really important part of my marriage is the monthly logistics meeting. Instead of badgering Sean with like a hundred questions at 1030 PM when we're both about to go to sleep. And I'm like, should we go to Italy next year? Like, what if we hosted these friends for dinner on Monday? I contain all of those questions in a two-hour meeting every month. And it is a great joy for me and I think Sean that when I have that impulse to ask those questions, I put them in the agenda instead. But in part of those conversations, we talk about our finances. And as we've made progress on paying off loans, we're also starting to think about one day owning a home and saving up for that. That's a long way to go. But it's the kind of like obvious next financial step, I guess, that at least the one I kind of expected that that would be on our next step. But at some point, I kind of looked around as we'd been living in our apartment in Brooklyn for two years, and we hadn't painted, like we'd invested some in furniture and things. But I suddenly realized, like, at the rate of our savings, like, we're going to be here for a really long time. And why do I keep thinking of this as an in-between place? I'm always so focused on the future that I know I trip myself up by not being present here and now. And so why wouldn't we paint? In fact, why would we ever move? Like if we like this building, we've built fun relationships with our neighbors. It's in a good location. Like why would we try and save and then end up with all of these extra stresses? And, you know, I have to start fixing plumbing and I suck at plumbing. So why are we even thinking about buying? And so I kind of wanted to interrogate, I guess, this cultural expectation, at least for someone with the, the privileges and, and the possibilities that I have that the next step in my kind of adulting journey is to buy a house. I love questioning assumptions and narratives and looking at them and being like, wait, why? I always thought I had to do this by this time. Do I? So I think that this question is just such a wonderful one to bring. And I feel like one of the many things that you're questioning is this like quintessential idea of the American dream where by using the system of capitalism, you can actually eventually escape it and like own your own home away from the bank and like be on the frontier and have your property and be able to shoot anyone who comes onto it. Right. <laughs> like that it's like yours and you own this slice of land. And we know that like that is a completely arbitrary idea. Right. Like about who owns land and what a deed is. And so I feel like even though part of what you're doing is questioning the trajectory of your own life, you're also questioning 
just all of these social and financial instruments and norms that have come to create this reality. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like, although I think it's something like 65% of Americans own their homes and there are countries with even much higher rates than that, there are also major economies like Germany where that rate is something like 50% or Switzerland where it's something like 40%. And so the kind of assumption that I have lived with, and I think many of us do, is, isn't even true elsewhere around the world. So it's, first of all, on principle, I think a good thing to question it. But I also think specifically for me, you know, obviously I have family in a different country. Buying in one place also has this sense of like eternity or like this is our forever choice. And I'm very hesitant about that because who knows what the future brings. And like, also, the markets are not clear and climate change. Like, there are so many, I think, of the, of the rules that are laid down about the future, which I'm not even so sure about. So, yeah, it feels like a principal thing, but then also like a very practical thing. I will say I wonder two things about the statistics you brought. One is that even though 65% of Americans, quote unquote, own their own home, what percentage of their homes right. they actually own? I wonder how much like debt to equity ratio is owned by individuals in America versus banks. And I assume that banks actually own quite a number of homes of the 65%. And I also wonder if part of why places like Germany and Switzerland have lower home ownership models is because they have social safety nets. So there's more protection before a landlord can kick you out. They have to give you more Mm -hmm. warning than they do here, right? There are just all sorts of systems in place to protect renters that we don't have in the United States. Yeah. And I wonder if that is in your calculation. If part of you thinks, oh, I'll be able to retire more safely if I don't invest in a house, if I do invest in the house, like how much of this is an existential sort of emotional decision for you? And how much of this is like looking at actuarial tables and like guessing how old you'll (laughs) live and based on a conservative rate of the market, when and where is the best, you know, I often find my emotions on big questions like this so overwhelming that I'm like, let's look at the math. And I'm wondering where you are on that scale. Oh, I'm fully in the emotional basket. Like I haven't even looked at the numbers in part because we've like not made a huge amount of progress on the savings. Like it's such a, it's such a new thing still, I think in terms of our goals because we both just had a ton of student debt and that has been our priority kind of financially. So yeah, it's it's not even based on like a financial question. It's it's really a an emotional one of like what would I want? You know, is it a place that's forever? And of course, I'm not even asking the question of like what my husband wants, but I do think me figuring out what I want will help us No, right. It'll contribute to us figuring out what's the right thing for us as a, as a couple. Well, and I think you brought this question to the right friend because I can financially justify most emotional decisions. So (laughs) we'll come to an emotional decision and then I'll be like, do you know what? That makes great financial sense, Casper. But honestly, this is what I'm learning about people who do work with money, like finance people. They often do exactly that. Like, they'll be like, what really matters is how you feel about it. I mean, to a limit, but like, there are all sorts of ways to make figures match your feelings. So yes, (laughs) that is what I learned in business school. Whenever you can, right, you should start with the decision of what do you want? Yeah, yeah. So 
a lot of that emotional desire comes from my own experience, right? Like I grew up in a house that my parents owned, and this is my first kind of object or text that I'm bringing, which is a photograph, which I think you're looking at, of the front door of the home that my parents owned as, as I grew up. And they bought the house when I was five until just a few years ago when, when my parents sold it. And it's this big blue front door. It has this curved top. And the picture that I have is of my mom, like looking through it, like welcoming you in. Because this was on, I think, the homepage of the bed and breakfast website that my mom especially ran throughout much of my childhood, renting out one or, or, or more of the rooms in the house. And like this blue front door signifies so much of what my family means to me. Like this color blue was also a color that was everywhere in the kitchen. It's the kind of like family color. It represents not just safety, but also like warmth and connection and a vibrancy and joy and love and being part of something bigger than myself. And it, it, it was such a wonderful, I was so, so privileged to have a joyful childhood by and large. And it was this incredible launch pad out into the world. And to know that that big blue door was always there, right? That sense of home, of something to return to has just always meant so much to me. And it was strange when it came time for my parents to sell this, this house because it did feel like a chapter closing or like some sort of solid ground shifting. They, they have a wonderful new house, but it's not the same, right? It doesn't have that landing pad or that sense of origin that this blue door represented. And I think, you know, I don't have any immediate plans to have children, but whether it's nieces and future nephews, whether it's friends, whether it's other members of the community in which we would live, I love this idea, just like Margie said, to like have this generous hosting capacity to welcome people in for this to be a place of joy and comfort and and safety for the people in my life. And so I want that. I want that. I mean, the obvious question to me is, aren't you that? Aren't you the big blue door? (laughs) Since I've known you, you've lived in a lovely apartment in Cambridge and then a dorm room and now this apartment in Brooklyn. Mm. And I have felt equally welcome in all three places. And so, yeah, aren't you the big blue door? I mean, that's, first of all, that's very nice to say. And I do think, of course, ultimately, you know, the spirit of a place is so dependent on like who's in it. And and I do, I do really hear that, but there's also, I don't know, I think a place can also shape a person. Like if you feel really connected to a place and not just connected to it, but responsible for it and that you're caring for it at a level of which, you know, as a renter, the relationship is different. Uh, You know, I live in an apartment building and there's some things that I'm not responsible for and I call the super to help fix it. But I can imagine that my level of care with a space that I felt was mine or that I had pure responsibility for would be different and that that can translate Plus, frankly, the freedom to use the space and that you want to, you know, like in the dorms, we were officially not loud Christmas trees and I did it anyway. Don't tell anyone. But like I was breaking rules to make the kind of space that I felt would be welcoming to people. And that's never fun to feel like you're breaking rules. Right. Or is it? I mean, unless you're having a really good time. (laughs) But the the point stands that it wasn't a space that I could make mine and therefore fully be myself in to welcome other people in. So there are some lines where I think it is a little trickier than just saying like, well, as long as you're there, it's fine. 
Yeah, of course. I would just say that like, wouldn't those same limitations come with owning a house Mm. that, you know, you wouldn't be able to fix certain things until you had enough money in order to afford them. Whereas you can just call the super. Yeah. I mean, it does come with downsides, right? That responsibility also means that you have to pay for all of the things that need to be, you know, the roof that collapses or the flood damage that comes or, you know, whatever else may befall. I just think that these are two different kinds of security, right? Mm. Like my parents live in an apartment and they are being forced to move out of their home for a few months, right? Because some repairs need to happen. And like, if you own a house, like a pipe might explode and you might have to do that, but you're not being told from on high that like, these are the dates you're in a little bit more control of that. Yeah. And my parents do not consider this a great time for them to have to move out of their apartment for a couple of months. And so I, you know, I understand that sense of like things are never up to us, mm. right? Even if you own a home, it's not up yeah. to you. Yeah. But like in theory, if you get a good mortgage, like the interest rate is fixed and it is slightly maybe more up to you unless you're from where I'm from in California when a mudslide can just take your house away at any moment. Yeah. I mean, that is a good reminder. Like it's one of those things in life that gives you a sense of control, but like, it's not actually control. It's part of the story that we tell of like, oh, I'm becoming an adult and I have this responsibility and like I'm building security, but like, who knows what's going to happen? I have such different reactions in my head and my heart. Like in my head, it totally makes sense. I'm like, yeah, just rent. Like you don't have to make this decision right now. You can't even make this decision right now. Like so, but like I look at this picture and like my mom's got a beautiful like summer wreath on the front door. And I know that there's like people sitting at the kitchen table and, you know, we had boarders who lived in the three rooms on the top floor when we were very small and like it extended our sense of family. And we had so many people from all around the world come and stay in the home. And I remember serving breakfast to Japanese tourists who are bed and breakfast guests and our Israeli mom living with her son who needed a place to stay. Like that was just life lived in this space in a way that it wouldn't have if we were renting. I I just feel, feel that, or at least the permanence of it allowed that hospitality to grow. Well, they're just like, there weren't rules about how many keys you could give away. I am obviously allowed guests in my rental, but I feel like if people were constantly coming in and out, right, like a landlord would get involved. Like you're not allowed to just sublet and you're not right. Like there are all sorts of rules and regulations and for good reason, right? Like they rented to you with your credit score and whatever else. But yeah, you, you can't do something like that in a rented space. Yeah. Yeah. But do you want to do stuff like that? <laughs> do you want to run like a B&B out of the attic of your future house? I mean, I do now remember me at like 14 being so frustrated that there's some unknown man in like turquoise underpants ironing his trousers at like 6 a.m. as I'm getting ready for school. You know, I don't want to paint some idyllic picture that it was never annoying because it was plenty annoying. But I do think the values that that gave me or that sense of hospitality. And and I think it's a big part of my marriage as well as like, that's something Sean and I love to do together is host people, you know, whether it's just dinner or drinks at home to like bigger parties, it's something that we really feel like creatively engaged with. Like we love to bring people together and give an experience that kind of 
feel special in some way. So I'm seeing that maybe it's helpful for me to untangle a little bit this kind of concept of owning a home and the practice of hospitality, that they're different things. And of course, you can own a home that is not as sizable as my parents was with all of those extra rooms that people live in, right? Like that's frankly unlikely for me. So yeah, maybe there's even an extra category of like, yeah, home ownership in principle and like the particular home ownership that I grew up in. Like those things are not the same. And then this other thing that's separated is this commitment to hospitality and wanting to welcome people into whatever space we or I am living in. Yeah. So rather than making it about home ownership, how would you feel if you made a list of like how you envision your life in 10 years? Mm. And if it's like people being in and out all the time. Vanessa lives next to me in New York. Exactly. Right. Like whatever (laughs) it is. Right. And then like have those conversations and like make decisions based on that. Like it's very important to me that we have a home where my mom can move in if she ever wants to. And whenever Peter and I envision the future, that is always like tacked on to the end of the conversation. I'm like, and there has to be space for my mother, just regardless of whatever we do. And I don't know what we'll do. Like there has to be space for my mom. So I wonder if it's like, there has to be space to host or whatever else there has to be space to garden, Hmm. whether it's a community garden or not. And if you're renting and the community garden shuts down, you guys start looking at moving. It's so funny you say that because when we moved in here, we'd come from the dorms. So we had like zero furniture and I would not let us buy a couch that was not a fold out couch. I was like, we need a double bed. People need to be comfortable when they come and stay here. We had precisely like four months with that couch before COVID. So it's had maybe three or four guests, but like, I was so happy that before we even had all the like lighting in our space, we had had guests staying on that couch. And it was such, you're helping me see that like, that was a principal commitment. It wasn't, oh, it would be practical, right? Because the couch is not that pretty, (laughs) but like I needed it to be a fold out couch and like I would not, (laughs) I would not budge on that. And now I get why, because I, I absolutely share that sense of like, no, people need to be able to sleep in our one bedroom space. Yeah. So I wonder if you only rent places that lets you paint your front door, right? Like, or if you have, you know, a like Monica and Rachel frame in that blue shade that you like hang on the outside of your door, right? Like, I love that. I I mean, in Judaism, there's like a really helpful tool for this of the mezuzah, right? Like when I moved in, we have storm doors. And so you can't like nail a mezuzah in. And so like Peter went and like made me like handmade me this piece of wood that we could like double-sided tape on. And then the first time my father came to visit, I had him say the prayers and like Mm. hang up my mezuzah. Right. And like that makes a house a home to me Mm. is when I have my mezuzah up. And so I wonder if you can like I don't know. You're Jewish. Just start putting up a mezuzah and make it that color. I do love thinking about that color. And it was even interesting, like, as my parents moved into this new place, they purposefully chose a different color because they were like, we're going to go red. Mm. You know, we're going to go something very different because this is a different home and it's a different stage in life. But like, I want to hold on to that blue. I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm taking that with me. 
Yeah. And I mean, we, we did just, you know, we just signed another two year lease and we decided we're going to paint the whole thing, even though we'll then be responsible for painting it all back if we ever leave, which I'm sure we will at some point. And it's a huge amount of effort and some expense, but it totally has changed even how I'm thinking about the space or like how much I allow myself to feel at home. So that feels like at least an easy small win within the bigger conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Casper, I feel like we have figured out that there are probably some ways to get that blue door regardless of renting or owning. So let's now look at your second text. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, Vanessa, for my second text, I'm bringing one of my favorite writers, Walter Brueggemann, who is a Christian scholar of the Hebrew Bible. And he really is most known for his work on the prophets. I love his writing on Jeremiah, for example. And this particular quote that I've chosen is from a book called The Prophetic Imagination, where he has this wonderfully insightful way of reading like biblical texts, which I've never honestly been that connected to. They haven't felt like mine. I, you know, eh. but he makes them come alive and with relevance and like power and persuasiveness that it's just like, it's exciting to read whatever he's writing. And what he's doing in his kind of analysis of, of the prophets is looking at patterns of how society changes so he looks, for example, at that, that when you have cultural change, the first thing you need is grief at the things that are wrong. Someone has to point out what they are and we have to collectively grieve it. Then the next stage, once we have grieved, then there is space to imagine something different. And only once we've imagined something different, can we start to implement it or to build it. So he has kind of this, this narrative that he establishes by looking at the prophets and he keeps pointing out this distinction that the prophets point to between a human royalty, right? So like 
kings and queens who are, you know have dominion over people and a kind of godly equality or a a, a justice and a, an even and equal distribution of power. And so this is the quote after a lot of talking that I want to bring as my my second text. So he writes, the very kings who could not cope with the thought that an end might come could also not imagine a new beginning. So he's describing this kind of royal, like this human impulse, and especially a royal impulse of control and of keeping things as they are. And by doing that, they actually don't allow something new to come to life, even if it could be better or more beautiful or more fair. And it really struck me as I was thinking about this question of home ownership, because in some way, what I want with that vision of ownership and, and of, of having a home is forever, right? It's like, and then that is done, right? Like, don't have to think about that again. Now I just get to worry about, I don't know, some other like financial goal or some other life goal to become truly adult. And and Brookerman is saying like, duh, no, like the very impulse to want to control, to want to own, to want to, to limit possibilities gets in the way of, of something more full of life coming, coming into birth. Except that I really think that you're attaching homeownership to this not being able to imagine an end might come, right? Like you can absolutely look at your home as a constant new beginning, mm. whatever it is. You plant tulips every fall and in the spring when they pop up, right, like that's a new beginning or you repaint the guest space every couple of years or you you know, you're so good at rituals. You like host a maypole festival in your backyard every year and like have a new group of friends, like bless the house. Like, mm. I just don't think that owning a house means an ending. It's so interesting to me that you are making that connection because you are Mr. Power of Ritual, brilliant book by Casper Kyle. Like, just create rituals so it always feels new. I mean, yes. I see the possibility of that, but I also think that human nature is incredibly, we get used to things and it becomes harder and harder to imagine something being different. And I think I know myself well enough that when I get used to something, letting it go is so much harder than not having had it in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's like a luxury that once you have it, it's not a luxury anymore, it's standard. Honestly, like this is me having traveled a lot for my work. I could never go without the Delta Sky Lounge. <laughs> I hate myself for saying that out loud, but it's true because it changes your quality of travel experience so much that like not having the like free cup of tea and a quiet place to sit. Like the times when I haven't flown with that particular airline, who I won't mention again, it's very, very, very different. And so I think I know myself enough that I'm a bit of a spoiled brat. And like once I get used to this thing, like I do worry that I will not be able to imagine something different or that or that I'll be so afraid of it that I won't even make space for its possibility because I'll become clutchy and grabby and like resistant so two things. One, I happen to know that you are okay without that lounge because if it's cheaper for the company for you to fly on another airline, you do, right? Like you actually are less of a brat. You enjoy being spoiled. <laughs> Literally, who doesn't? <laughs> Liars. Liars don't. But like you're not a brat. You don't throw a tantrum when you don't get to be spoiled. Hmm. And 
the other thing that I'll say is like, you're going to get attached to this apartment. It is entirely possible that you make this apartment a place where you can comfortably live for the next 15 years and you could stop being able to imagine a new beginning. Mm. And like any good landlord is going to tell you once you have a good tenant who's been in there forever, you don't get rid of them. And so people end up living in the same rental for 50 years, like lucky people. And so you could do this, you know, be a king who couldn't cope with the thought that an end might come mm. and a rental or a house. Yeah. And so, again, I think it's about making this like list of principles and then figuring out which of the principles you want to live toward or which of these situations is going to most easily allow you to live up to your principles. Yeah, I'm really struck that it's like in some ways part of the human experience once there is safety and and you know the structures of life that make things easier which i'm so lucky to have that actually that kind of consciousness that kingly consciousness that brookerman describes is gonna settle in whether you're whether i am renting or whether i am owning like i feel like i need a lighthouse in my life that's just like scanning the horizon for like kingly you know <laughs> just like not allowing for new life to come through because i'm so set on things staying the same i think about this all the time with relationships we've talked about this of like the more people i love the more people i'm gonna grieve anything that you feel good about can and will change. I watched Eat, Pray, Love last night and I'm totally fine with watching it rather than reading it. So please don't come for me. The book doesn't have Javier Bardet. I mean, and that's all you need to know. Although that cute Australian guy who gets very naked at the end, I was like, I know you've dated men like this all through your life, but don't you want to just also date this one? Because he's very, very cute. <laughs> but anyway, like she talks about this sense of like, yeah, you love and it will end, right? Like you, you have to accept that the thing you love will die, that the, that the person you love, like all the love that you have with a person will end in one way or another. And that's, it's, I guess it's just painful to accept that, that my kingly consciousness as Brookerman would call it is wrong. Like it's just factually incorrect. So Casper, can I offer one other theory of what I think a, a home or ownership or whatever would mean to you? Yeah. You are such a relational person. Mm. Like you are the person I know who like you would be on the cover of extrovert magazine. <laughs> like you love alone time and need your rest, but right. Like being around people just like fills you up. Yeah. And so you talked about this lighthouse of things to make sure that you don't become a king who, you know, can't cope with the thought of change. And I wonder if your investment in new relationships is that lighthouse, right? Mm. Like people who challenge you and keep you on your toes and who are different from you and therefore will be like, uh, well, hey, that's a supposition that actually isn't true, right? Like you are not afraid of being friends with people who challenge you. Mm. And so I wonder if I don't know. I wonder if that resonates as like a version of a lighthouse or what other ways you're thinking about setting up that lighthouse. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and I think in part, I mean, I'm glad that's partly why we're friends, because I, I, I always come away smarter and more refined in what I think after talking to you. I think the thing I don't want to fall into is just this expectation that this is the next step. Like if we do one day end up buying a house, totally. I want it to be for the right reasons and not because it's expected. Like obviously as a 
gay person, you know, I didn't think I would be able to get married for most of my life. And then when I did, like it became legal two years before Sean and I got married. But my God, like that, we had talked about it so much, like, and what it meant and what parts of that tradition we felt really icky about and what we wanted to hold on to and how we were going to change it and all of that kind of stuff. And so when we decided to, I knew it was right for us. And I I guess I don't want to fall into this as some sort of like, oh, it's the cultural expectation of what you do. Like, No, I'm not going to do it until like we really know that we know. So how will you know that you know? My tummy will feel really good when I walk into a place. (laughs) You know, there is actually a study about that, that people will buy a house within five minutes of seeing it. And that that's actually a good thing because what happens is we've been shopping for houses our whole lives. Every time we walk into a house, we're like, oh, this makes me feel good. This makes me not feel good. And like, of course, you should do house inspections and stuff. But actually, that feeling in your tummy has been proven to be really effective with house satisfaction. I love that because it's also it's how I chose the college that I went to. It was not the like top most fancy place that I could have gotten into. But I arrived on that campus and I was like, this is the right place for me. And I look back at my life and sure, I didn't have the most academic stimulating experience, but I did so much outside of class that shaped me and who I've become. I'm so glad I was there. I knew on our first date that Sean was different. Like I just had that feeling enough. And I've even like we, the apartment that we're in now, I didn't even see it when Sean was like, we're renting it. I trusted his tummy feeling because I was like, Mm -hmm. if he feels good, I know I'm going to feel good. So that makes Mm -hmm. me feel very validated and watch out houses. Because if I get that feeling, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Please, no one with cash offers get in the way first. (laughs) (laughs) I also just wonder if at one of your business meetings with Sean, you guys can talk about, I don't know, I don't know, some sort of like lever that gets pulled when you make that decision Mm. of like, let's say that you're trying to save for a $100,000 down payment. You're also saving to make sure that 10% of that down payment gets donated the second you make Mm. an offer so that there's some hoop you have to jump through or, or like before you buy a house, you have to sell everything and go to Rome for six months. (laughs) I mean, like whatever it is, right? Like I also wonder if you can work into that some other value. That's something that resonates so much. And it's something I want to get better at. I feel we've made a good start. Like one of the best kind of finance tips that I learned was the kind of automated directioning of a paycheck straight into, you know, account for future taxes and expenses, your account for savings, your account for charitable donations, so that the actual amount, you know, in your main checking account is much smaller because you've already got those other things covered. And I I want to be... I want to live the full reality of both my values and, and this question now, you know, yes, we'll be able to put something away for savings, but also like, I do want to go live in Rome at some point for a month or two. And I want to make sure that we're supporting local organizations that, you know, that I feel like I'm a good neighbor as, as well as other charitable causes. Like I want to build all of that a little bit more smartly into our into our finances. And I know this wasn't a financial conversation, but that feels like a values commitment that gets expressed in finances rather than like looking at interest rates and things like that, which are more about, you know, smart numbers. Yeah. Cause like, if it is the right decision one day, great. 
And if it isn't, I want us to have had a great time and living aligned with what matters to us all through the meantime. So we've talked about these like rituals and principles, and I'm wondering if there's something at the top of your list that you want to do soon that will make this feel different. Yeah, it's actually helping me understand why I'm so passionate about the dining table that we have, which is also my workplace, because it's a really big table and it's probably too big for the space that it's in. But it means that it can fit eight people comfortably around that table for dinner. And it, you know, it's the same thing with the couch. Like I want people to be able to be in our space. It's not just for me and my husband. It's for a wider community of people we love. And that's what I believe a house is for. And so those things are at the very top of my list. And then under that comes the piano so that there's always music. And under that comes, you know, some nice greenery space that I don't have to deal with unless Sean is traveling. I hear how important the greenery is to you. <laughs> I would like to reflect that back to you. So I want to thank not just the old front door of the house I grew up in, but also my mom who's like opening it because she was the the life and soul of that house and uh, Walter Brueggemann for, yeah, inspiring this conversation today. And I would like to thank Katie Pfeiffer from Boston, Massachusetts, who had something very wise to say to you right now, Casper. Katie says, whether you believe you can or not, you're right. Ooh, thank you, Katie. And I would love to solicit voicemails right now. We talked about how to break up with friends who are like objectively awful. And my next question is like, what do we do with friends who are just like not feeling it these days? Yes. And so I would love if people sent in voicemails with their thoughts about that. I know I have been on the receiving end of that, of like being politely, slightly ghosted or when you have pulled away and it has felt really effective Mm. in your life. So please send in your voicemail at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. It helps you feel part of the community in a whole new way, I promise. If you love the show, please tell your friends. Share the recent episode on your social. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Boll and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Margie for our voicemail this week, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of our patrons. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.